everyone, I'm Terralon. Welcome to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. Today I'm going to be speaking with Juanita Ingram, a supportive wife, mother, lawyer, author, actress, philanthropist, and producer who moved overseas with her family during a global pandemic. During the process, Juanita produced her own unscripted series, The Expats, International Ingrams, where she stars alongside her husband and two kids. Today, she's going to talk about what life is like for a black family living in a new country during a global pandemic, with racial tensions at an all-time high, plus how she's managed to star in and produce her own reality show. Hi, Juanita. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All the way from Taiwan right now. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, we are in Taiwan. Okay. And what time is it there for you? It's 7 a.m. here. So, oh, uh, well, thank even, you. Yeah. I, I appreciate yeah, you um, getting started so early for me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm the, the Navy or the Army. Like I do more before 7 a.m. than some people do all day. Oh, so my I've got goodness. the kids off to the bus and breakfast is done and lunches are made and hair and all of that. So I, I was up, believe me. Oh, perfect. <laughs> okay. I hear a Southern accent. Where are you from originally? I am from Tennessee. Nice. Yep, Chattanooga. Okay. So tell me a little bit about yourself and also your family. Yes. So I, uh, we've been living in Taiwan for almost two years now. Believe it or not, time flies. And um, uh, I'm originally from Tennessee. My husband's from Alabama. Roll Tide. Yes, Roll Tide. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there for my husband who's from Alabama. Uh, no worries. You know, I'm from Tennessee, from Alabama. We're a house divided, but that's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Same with my, my husband's family. You know, there's some division there, too, with Auburn and yes. Alabama. But, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. digress. Go ahead. Yeah, so his, sorry. His, his, <laughs> no worries. His brother is an Auburn fan. So they're oh. a family divided as well. Oh, yeah, my so goodness. So, you know, that runs deep. Yes, um, it does. But, yes, yeah, so we've been married for 16 years. Um, we have two children. My daughter is 13. My son is 11. We were in London for almost five years prior to this, uh, moved to Indianapolis for a time period, and now we're in Taiwan and headed in two months to live in Singapore. Oh, nice. Yes. So we are an expat family for sure. Uh, This will be my kids, I guess, fourth country uh, living in. They've traveled to over 26 countries just visiting and traveling about, so that's what we are. My, when I moved back to Indianapolis after London, some of my friends were teasing me, not teasing, but in a loving way, like, oh, here come the international Ingrams. And it just stuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, oh, how perfect yeah. for your show. Yeah. yeah, that's so perfect. Now, tell me, why did you guys start traveling abroad in the first place? Was it because of your job, your husband's job? Sure. Yeah, my husband's job. Well, we actually started traveling abroad at our honeymoon. And I had this inkling in my spirit. I am a very uh, spiritual person. My relationship with God and with Christ is very uh, near and dear to me. That's just my my foundation. Yes. And when we were getting married, uh, I prayed about, you know, as you do with most most transitions in your life, you you ask God to guide you, to give you wisdom. And in prayer one day, I had this, this inkling in my spirit from the Holy Spirit that said, you know, get some international experience. I had no reason to know why, no evidence that we would ever live abroad. In fact, I had not left the United States at that time Hmm. until our our honeymoon. So our honeymoon, you know, and our family and friends got, you know, love them, but everybody was like, why you gotta go out of the country? Why can't you go to Punta Cana or, (laughs) you know, why can't you go to Florida? And I just had this feeling um, 
during my prayer time that we needed to travel abroad. And so we decided to go to uh, Rome and Florence for our honeymoon. And that was the first time that we actually started traveling. And then we made a commitment that every year on our anniversary, we would travel abroad. So the year after that, we went backpacking across Spain. The year after that, we went to Paris with a group of other five other couples. I had children the year after that. And then lo and behold, right after that, uh, his, his job required us to move to London. And I don't think that we would have had the confidence to move and live abroad had we not first started traveling. Mm. And so like, you know, like many Americans, especially back then, it was really common for people not to really have left the United States. You know, a lot of Americans, we don't really leave uh, the U.S. We might go to the Caribbean. We might go to the Bahamas or Jamaica or something like that. But now there's a huge travel movement, especially amongst the black community. Yes. Back back then, there was no black travel movement. There was no blacks it, you know, and so it was still sort of novel for people to be traveling abroad in, in the way that we're seeing it now. Right. Now, the multi-million dollar, you know, initiative and movement is a black travel movement. Now it's huge. But when we first moved to London, um, I just had an idea for the show. I am an attorney by trade. And so I had some reality TV star clients that I watched their journey and just got to know a lot about the business. And so traveling abroad started before the job, but my husband's job took us to London, although he'll he'll tease you and, and me and say, yeah, his job may be it may have been the catalyst, but it was my calling that really that really brought us there because he's yeah. like, yeah started doing, you know, acting again and writing books and pageantry and all these other things and really exploring what the new season had for me. Once I got over trailing spouse syndrome, which I didn't even know that that was a thing or that it was something that I was going through. I think the first time I actually went through it, because, you know, you can have trailing spouse syndrome, whether you travel domestically or internationally mm. or move for your spouse. And the first time I had trailing spouse syndrome was when I moved from Chattanooga to Indianapolis for my husband's job and lawyers, we don't tote well. So, you know, yeah. we, can, we don't just, cause we're licensed in that particular state. Right. I had took the bar in Tennessee and passed the first time. Um, and cause I went straight through undergrad. I went to Tennessee state university, shout out to HBCUs <laughs> and, and, went straight to law school and did my JD MBA, graduated, took the bar, passed it, met my husband on a arranged blind date. Yes, those things still work. Oh, I love uh, it. And, you know, the things you do for love. Mm -hmm. So I had only practiced for like two and a half, almost three years. I could not wave into the jur jurisdiction of Indiana. So I had to take the entire bar exam again oh my goodness and i know how hard that is because my husband's uh he's a, a lawyer as well oh gosh yes so you know that that is like it's actually traumatizing I, I have my own theory on the bar exam i mean i passed the first time but i still feel like it's very trauma in inducing and it's really hard so yeah. the first time i experienced trailing spouse syndrome in the sense of losing network losing foundation or just uprooting yourself and having to reinvent and start all over again was that experience from Tennessee to Indiana and then the bigger change from Indiana to London. Right. Now, and how old were your kids when you all moved to London? Oh, gosh. My children were, my, my daughter was three and my son was 15 months old. I was still breastfeeding him. Okay. And so that was so, their first experience overseas, the kids. That, 
yes, that was their first experience living abroad or really even traveling abroad was when we actually moved and flew to London with them. Oh, wow. And that was, yeah, that was an experience of just working up the nerve to, I think our first country that we visited was um, Brussels and Bruges. We went to Belgium and um, just finding the right gear to travel with kids. I could do a whole and I may do a whole travel line for children just because we had to have the right stroller, the right gear. But we actually, I think while we were living in uh, the UK, we went to like 16 countries with our children from oh, Amsterdam goodness. to, yeah, to Paris, to, you know, France and Italy and uh, Mafi Coast. We went everywhere, Greece, uh, Spain. We went all, all up and through Europe with children. And I think it was the best thing that we could have done for them because children need to be able to know that the world is bigger than where they are. Yes. Even even to know that the world was bigger than London, mm-hmm. you know, to see to see Austria, to see Prague, to see all of these different countries. And they actually do remember Denmark and and going to Malmar and, and you know, all these uh, places that they remember traveling. They they now are a whiz at, at whizzing through the airport. Uh, it gave them a great confidence of knowing that the world was bigger than just their immediate circle, their immediate space. Um, it was it was a beautiful experience. And again, I think living in London, which didn't have necessarily a language barrier, the British Amer- English is very different from American English. You learn that very quickly, but it's still English. Right. So it's a, it's a different type of expat experience in the sense that there isn't a true language barrier. There is a cultural barrier that you certainly have to overcome. And there are grave differences between Europe, UK and America. But I think that it was more of an impactful difference living in Asia. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I think I feel like um, you moving to Great Britain with the kids. I- I've been there as well. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that's a great uh, first uh, moving ex- or international moving experience, like with the family, yes. because, you know, they speak the same language. Yes, yep. it's a different culture, but it's kind of like an introduction to living abroad Absolutely. before going to uh, Eastern Asia. Oh, yes, it is a total. I mean, we, we had a, a I will say, looking back on it, we felt the culture shock then that was mild in comparison to the true culture shock. Cause I think when there's a language barrier, that's always an added layer of obstacle and challenge to overcome uh, a welcomed one now, but even at the time, you know, God does everything in due season and for good reason. And I think London was the appropriate uh, challenge and experience for me as a mom, uh, as a person, as a trailing spouse, I think it would have been, really overwhelming to add a language barrier a true language barrier to that yeah and be, yeah being in london allowed me to thrive also although i will admit and i talk about this in the show a lot and uh when i was doing research for the show i had the idea or concept for the show actually about six years ago when we were living in london maybe longer than that now that gosh yeah about five or six years ago um and I just saw a lot of black expats mm-hmm. living abroad and I knew that that had never been shown, depicted or seen. I had, like I said, I had clients who were reality star uh, clients and I watched a lot of reality TV, but I saw the impact 
and felt that there was just a niche that we hadn't been represented in. You know, I think that there's a show for everybody. There's a, a genre, even within unscripted TV, with is a, is a genre within itself. Yeah. But there are categories within the genre. And I think there's a show for everybody. But there wasn't one that depicted uh, black professionals, black people living and thriving abroad. I also wanted a show that was very family friendly. You know, I have nothing against uh, other reality shows that maybe you may not want your kids to watch. But the reality is, is that all of those shows laid the blueprint and the foundation for shows like mine to exist. Um, You know, even going back as early to Real World and Ron's House and different shows that laid the foundation for things like the Real Housewives or Chrissy Knows Best. And, you know, you have a variety of different shows. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to show positive black images, positive images of black families, positive images of professional black men that weren't emasculating and to show uh, professional black people and success that wasn't necessarily attached to being a celebrity or being an athlete or being a, a music a person or, 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 you know, performer, but something that was more attainable for young children to be able to see themselves. Yeah. In. I think that's you know, excellent. I, it's such a, a brilliant concept. Yeah. I tried to watch it on Amazon, but it wasn't playing in my area. I was so mad. <laughs> yes, it is paused right now. We actually are coming back at the end of this month. So I paused it for two months now, almost three Um, We ran for a little, almost two months, and we did over 2.3 million streams, almost close to 2.5. Yeah, and so you catch a little bit of attention of some folks that weren't paying you attention before when we were pitching. I won't call any names, (laughs) uh, but you know who you are. Okay. But we were pitching in the middle of COVID also. Mm -hmm. And so the industry was frozen. The industry has become slightly unfrozen right now. So we had to entertain some conversations about a broader distribution. We're almost at the tail end of those conversations. I wish I could talk more about them. But when I sign an NDA and draft them, I adhere to them. Yeah, you're a lawyer. You have to. (laughs) So, you know, until until everything's signed and dotted. But it's it's a good thing. I'm just making some really important decisions about, to your point, about availability in certain areas. So we were on Amazon Prime for the U.S. and U.K., and it was fantastic for the U.S. and U.K. Mm-hmm. But for other people, uh, especially because we have a show that is an international show, we had to think about a broader distribution capability. Um, we had family and friends, or not family, but friends and family of friends who were living abroad, people who were living in Singapore and living in China and even people right here in Taiwan that could not see the show Mm. because it does, because Amazon is not in Taiwan and Amazon prime does not distribute on Amazon, Singapore or Amazon, Japan. And so we had, you know, or, you know, some people in Denmark and we had some folks who were in Brazil uh, because black people, thanks to the show, we now know black expats are everywhere. Yeah. And so our target audience, we wanted to make sure that they could see it. Um, but we will be back by the end of this month. Oh, good. And yes. And so, um, and we're actually starting this week. Well, we have started last month, but really picking up into the swing of things this week in filming season two, which will be the expats Taiwan, uh, a whole new, some familiar faces from season one and a whole new cast of 
individuals uh, in season two. And we'll really focus on season one was all about my family's journey and some other people that I met along the way, finding tribe, getting settled. Season two will explore true living abroad and traveling all throughout Taiwan, dealing with COVID um, and relationships. I think it's the most important key theme that will be in season two, because, you know, my husband and I came as a package. I didn't have to think about dating and being black and abroad, Mm -hmm. but some of my friends are doing that. And what does it mean to be a black woman and dating in Asia or a black man and dating in Asia? And so we're exploring those uh, relationships, what it looks like, what those experiences are and delving a lot into different standards of beauty and living here, not just landing and getting acclimated, but what does it mean to really be here as a black woman and there be no black hair salons and the standard of beauty is different. And what does that mean uh, for us as black people? Again, just black life abroad. And we've got uh, Latina sisters and brothers that are joining us this season as well. So the vision for the show was always, for it to be a franchise. You know, my family was just a catalyst. It's got to start with somebody. And I had the vision for the show when we were living in London. We used to do these events called Soul Food Sundays where we would, you know, go from house to house each month and it would be like a potluck. But we had all the African-American people in the area. Um, And one day we were celebrating the family that was returning to the U.S. We were at their home. We Frank and Beverly and Mays was playing and Beyonce and we were barbecuing on the lawn. It was like 15 kids running around and, you know, 30 adults. And you look up, you could have been anywhere. You could have been in Tennessee, you could have been in D.C., anywhere. But you look up by, in the back garden and there was Windsor Castle, like, you know, in the, in the background. Mm-hmm. And I looked around and I saw nothing but vice presidents and senior directors and, you know, doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs. And, and they were all black. And I knew that that had never been shown. And it hit me. I'm like, this is a show. And then what solidified the need for these type of images, there was a show out not too long ago while we were living in the UK, that was about black sorority life. It was only on for one season. Uh, It did not meet with with great reviews, especially from uh, black sorority members, because there was a lot of fighting, you know, really depicted black women in a negative light. Uh, A lot of just, you know, some reality shows have a particular formula for entertainment. Our show is a platform of edutainment, which was coined by the Black Panthers years ago of educating and entertaining, but in a positive and empowering and uplifting way for us as a people. But this show really depicted, you know, typical black women fighting each other all the time. And I was going uh, to get my nails done in London. We run a charity, uh, Dress for Success Greater London, and we were in Brick Lane and I put my keychain down in a nail salon. Um, And I'm a member of a black sorority and I put my keychain down and had our, our insignia on it. And this British woman just looked at me and just went in and she was like, why do you all behave that way? Why are you doing this to black women? You're, you're fighting each other. You're cursing each other out. You know, you're, you're putting us in a bad light. And she was a black British woman. And she said, you know, why are you doing this to us sister? And I was like, Whoa, first of all, I'm not on the show. Yeah, exactly. You know, Hey, I'm just a member of the group, but it it hit me in that moment Mm -hmm. that these shows and unscripted TV, the entire uh, genre of TV really has an impact on not only how we're seen 
locally, domestically, but how we are received globally and how the world receives us, perceives us, and possibly mishandles us Mm -hmm. because of these images. And maybe, you know, some people believe that uh, unscripted TV truly is real and unscripted doesn't mean that it's not produced right it just means that there's no script so sometimes what you see is not always real Mm -hmm. see that's good that you said that because a lot of a lot of people do feel like it's actually reality you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, just, it's just called, re- the genre is called reality. Yeah. It's unscripted TV. There are different forms of reality TV, mm-hmm. you know, and what we're trying to do is start this new subcategory, what we call smart reality TV. And, and, and in a way, again, built on the platform of edutainment, you will not see black people fighting each other on our show. You won't, there's not a single curse word. In fact, we just got selected for the Christian film festival. So oh, it's awesome. very, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I wanted to create something that, my kids, my grandkids could press play on yeah. and and I don't embarrass them. I don't have friends that when I have a disagreement, I throw a drink in their face and yeah. I flip a table. And you start cussing them out. Like, and I start you know. cussing them out. That's not how we resolve yeah. conflict. And I think to paint us as a monolithic group in terms of, now do we have that within our society? Everybody does. But that doesn't, but when you only see that as the only way that black women resolve conflict, that's when it becomes problematic. That's when you need more diverse programming to say, okay, you know, it's pl- it's fine to have, uh, you know, I look at, at scripted TV, there's a show called Black AF on, on Netflix, which is sort of an offshoot of, you know, you have Blackish, um, and then you have Black AF on Netflix, which is sort of the complete opposite. And everybody was like, oh, either they, it was polarizing, either they loved the show or they hated it. But the reality is, is that we need diversity in programming in all respects. You need every aspect of programming to show the continuum of who we are. And the problem comes into place when you don't show the breadth and the dimensions of who we are. And so that's what our show is hoping to to really garner a, a large following and appreciation of just showing us. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a show about expats, period. You know, you have international house hunters, but that's that's just you trying to find a house. That's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I saw a lot of the reviews on Amazon. That's why I'm so mad. I I can't watch it because they were so great. The reviews. I'm like, I wish I could watch this show. (laughs) We are coming back. I know. In a couple months, we should be able to watch it. Is that what you're telling us? You'll make an announcement. Okay. We'll make an announcement. They can go to the expats show. Uh, expats with an S show.com um, sign up, you know, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. The announcement will be coming. We'll have all the links that will be on multiple platforms. It yeah. won't just be Amazon. So that way people can. Good. And we're also working on our own streaming platform for purpose streaming. Oh my so, goodness. Okay. We have to talk yeah. about that too, but I want to backtrack a little bit, just, you know, at, uh, at the infancy of this reality show, you have this idea so you have uh, contacts in the industry because of some of your clients and you just, you go, or do you start pitching to different people yes. like your idea, then someone picked it up. Is that what happened? Well, we started pitching and no one picked it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, I won't say no one picked it up. People wanted to pick it up. They wanted me to sell it and let them produce it and let them develop it. Mm. And what I have seen in the past is that so often we will have wonderful ideas, wonderful narratives, wonderful stories, and no offense, 
But a lot of times, majority-owned production companies and networks will take our narrative and pervert it. Oh, and it's true, though. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And I love everybody. But because they only have one particular type of formula for what they feel people want to see, Mm -hmm. that's what they they, they keep giving them that. And they're like, oh, but that's what sales. No, that's what you give. You don't give people an option. Yeah. You know, you, you you take a story about whether it's lawyers or whether it's doctors or whether it's, you know, sorority life. And you take it. And the only thing that's entertaining for you uh, is for us to fight one another in the most debased way. And that's not all that we do. Does that happen from time to time in the world, in life? Sure. But that's not all that we are. They have a very one dimensional tendency of depiction. And so I had offers to sell it, offers to help, you know, um, get an ensemble cast basically to almost turn it into like the real housewives of Taiwan. Hmm. That's not what I was trying to do. Yeah. And that, cause it's been done. And I think as a producer, as a director, as a creative producer, which is what I am, you know, as a producer that also directs, also writes acts. If we're just a creative, you want to tell a story that hasn't been shown in a way that hasn't been done to, to do something that's already been done is boring. Yeah. You know, you're not offering people anything new. And you're for me, given the, the racial climate that we're in right now, I don't feel like we've come far enough as a people to continue to have us depicted in a particular way that is divisive. You know, we have better things to talk about. Yeah, and deal absolutely. With than, than arguing and fighting over wigs. So you, you had offers to sell it, but yeah. you actually took it yourself, said no to the offers and you produced it yourself. Yeah. Because, you know, time was of the essence and the drama and our formula is life presents its own drama. We are dealing with real life dramas in the sense that, um, you know, when I first moved over and, and moving, when you first move and you learn that you're going to move, you try to get all your doctor's appointments done. You know, you'll get your teeth clean. You try mm-hmm. to do everything to sustain yourself. So I thought I was just checking the box. I had my first mammogram and nobody expects to get a call back. Mm. Nobody expects to say, come back in. We see something. Wait, was this on the show, but, Juanita? Did you, was this shown yes, on your yes, reality show? Okay. Yes, my full breast reconstructive surgery and everything. They had to remove the majority of breast tissue from my right side. So cancer, is that what you had, cancer? No, it was pre-cancerous cells that were going, I had... I had three to six months before it turned to cancer. Oh, so they were like, you can, wow. you can move it. You can take it out now or you can sit there and wait and get cancer. And I'm like, well, let's get that out of there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's not sit there and wait. But those type, those type of real life events, just because you're moving internationally, life doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you apply for schools and in the UK and Europe, oftentimes in different settings, you are registering your kids for an international school. Well, in Asia, it's almost like applying for college. It's very competitive. And our kids, because of a teacher in the U.S. who was white, who decided to write something racist about my about myself in an ap- application and a recommendation. And, you know, the, the superintendent apologized. They tried to make it right after the fact. But my kids did not get into school here in uh, Taiwan initially. That's all on the show. That happens often. Well, how old were your had, kids on when you started the show? Um, they were, my daughter was 11. My son was eight. So 11 so we started and eight. Filming, yeah, we started filming in December of 2019. And by 
August of 2019, we were in Taiwan. So everything, everything leading up to the transition, packing your home and half of your stuff gets broken or the other half doesn't show up or gets lost. You know, the reality, you don't have to make up things. Oh, no, not at all. And then 2020 was a crazy year. Yes. So this was all this was all on your show as well. Like the racial uprisings, everything was on your show. Black Lives Matter rally in Taiwan. We had the onset of COVID in Taiwan. All of these things that happened um, through 20, because we debuted in December of 2020. So we ran, really ran the cameras and came up. We had to, everything that a production company would do, because what you do in the process, I'll give a little one-on-one, you pitch and then a production company picks it up. They develop it for about 12 to 18 months to see what it's going to actually be, especially the first year, because you you go into it and you don't really know what all themes are going to come out. You don't know the cast. You don't know the characters. We had to meet people here. There are about six other black expats and one white person that's an expat that's on the show and their journey. Teachers, uh, people who came here for, for to be actors and entertainers, their journey is here as well, uh, oh. depicted on the show. Yeah, you, so did you hire just, them like as actors to be on the show? Is that yes. what you did? Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Like, I have a full. So my production company is Purpose Production. Uh-huh. It's a five hundred one. C, it's a five hundred one c three nonprofit uh, production company, which is a little bit rare because we wanted to be mission based in the content that we made. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have an ethos of sharing narratives about black people, people of color, marginalized people. Uh, but doing it and owning our narrative. So I didn't want to sell the show and not be able to control the narrative. Ownership is so important nowadays, being able to make sure that you retain. And I knew that I had a franchise on my hand. So, you yes. know, I've been practicing long for 19 years. I knew, I know that the industry will catch up with it. And even if they don't, we live in such a digital age. I can't tell you the last time I watched television. Everybody streams. And so because we have that accessibility, you know, we wanted to make sure, especially because it was something I I hold it. I don't take it lightly, the mandate of representing black people living abroad. Like that's a huge mandate. I'm sure someone else do their own version. Maybe, maybe not. Um, But being the first to depict that, that's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want to give that over and ever have somebody look me in the eye at another nail salon and ask me why. So I, I love that story, actually, that you chose not to sell your idea and you produced it yourself. So with that, does that mean that you, you put up the finances for it? You did all the hiring yes. of the actors. So after you produce this show, you have however many episodes that you have, you have it in the can. Then do you go out to sell it to a network? Like, how did you get it on Amazon from, you know, those produced episodes? Yes. So I financed, self-financed. I actually, because I, you know, started, we started rolling the the cameras actually in December of 2018. I I backtracked. December of 2018, we started rolling the cameras. And for all of 2019, I just saved my entire salary. You know, we, we do have a dual income household. So I saved my entire salary and fund and self-funded because I could see the writing on the wall. People just didn't know what to do with it. They just kept wanting to change it into something that it didn't need to be. And sometimes you have to show people. Um, networks are very slow to respond to something that is not known because if you make the wrong call and it doesn't pop, 
you get fired. And I understand the trepidation and the timidity. And again, they keep giving us the same thing because we keep watching and it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. And so they think, well, this is what sells and people want to see black folks fighting each other all the time. But that's all you're giving us. And that's not to say that we don't want to see that, but we want to see other things too. So yes, I self-financed, uh, self-produced, created my own production company, hired everyone, the entire team, directors, videographers, sound technician, editors, every color, you know, color grading, everything. Um, and once you have, we had 20 episodes in a can and you can license it. And so right now we're, we're doing what we're contemplating is licensing distribution agreements in a can because we've already produced it mm-hmm. long term will probably entertain a production financing deal with another production company just for the sake of the franchise. So season three, for example, will be the expat Singapore season two will be the expat Taiwan because we're opening it, opening it up to a broader cast. But my vision for the show was always to have, you know, the expats Canada, the expats London, the expats Switzerland, the expats Sweden. And so to really show black life abroad everywhere. Yeah. So Juanita, what I do want to know, and I'm sure you've shown this on the, on your show, like how do you prepare your kids for these very different cultures? Like you're getting ready to move to one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Singapore. Mm -hmm. So now that's a preparation in and of itself. Like, like what do you do to prepare them for these moves? Uh, You know, it's, it's hard because um, as the older they are, the harder it becomes. When we when they first moved to London, you know, my daughter's three, my son was 15 months old, he was breastfeeding. They didn't care where we were living. It was easy. They hadn't really made deep, deep friendships at three and 15 months. My son didn't care, you know, as long as I was there and the milk was there, he didn't really care where we were. <laughs> right. Nobody, you know. But when they get a little bit older, the move to Taiwan, um, because they were, uh, eight and and eleven years old. Uh, I think eight and ten. I can't remember how old they were. Time flies. I know mm-hmm. they're eleven and thirteen. Yeah, so they were eight and ten. You know, they make friendships, and I think part of the the challenge of being a third culture kid and what we wanted to show uh, through the show was that conversation, that preparation of trying to convince them that this is something that they should do, want to do. Now, fortunately, our kids have been, you know, ingrained in them and sort of have seen the benefit of traveling. They love seeing new things, but leaving friendships is hard. I think the hardest thing that we can do is to prepare them um, and knowing that they live in a digital world, they can't keep in contact with their friends. It's okay to embrace change and, and being able to navigate change culturally. We do cultural awareness change, uh, tr- uh, training for different cultures. So for example, they know in Singapore not not to chew gum in public, you know, various Mm, things that mm -hmm. uh, are really, really critical for them to know. And we go through that sort of cultural training with them so that they are aware, but it is more of emotional support and relationship navigation for them in terms of building friendships and then having to say goodbye. But being in an expat community, they're used to that because either they're moving or their friends are moving. So my grand, you know, my friend, my kids have friends all over the world. Some of their closest friends are 
either still in the UK, some of them are in France, some of them are in Brazil, Portugal, they're all over the world now. That's a beautiful thing, but also you have to be able to help them to know the difference between feeling lonely and isolated. You never want to be in isolation, but sometimes feeling lonely is a natural emotion and how you navigate through those natural emotions because you can't avoid them. I think part of what we do as human beings of of all ages is that we try to avoid change and the uncomfortable feelings that come with change. Right. And that's, that's not going to help because life happens. So you don't want to get to like where I was at 27, you know, years old and just now leaving the U S or to be 30 or 31. I believe I was when, or 32, I think when we moved to London and I think I spent the first four months in, you know, trailing spouse depression and sat on the couch in the same spot for four months, not knowing who I was, who was my, what was my identity. I wasn't practicing law in the traditional way and I had to soul search. And I think my kids won't go through that. If they ever have to, to move or, you know, navigate change, they will be experts at dealing with the emotions and um, really reinventing themselves. I think that is the blessing. The hard lifting is that emotional journey, but the blessing is when you get on the other side. And Juanita, really quickly, I know you're also an author, which I didn't mention in the author yes. in the intro, because you have like 10 titles, I think. <laughs> you're yes, an actress too, but I, I don't think we have time to talk about your acting. But you're an actress sure. too, but um, tell me about your book, or is it books? How many books do you have? It's books. I have three for uh, women. So they're all Christian uh, inspirational books. Three. My first one was Winning with Christ. My second one was a collection of testimonies called Beauty for Ashes from women all over the world. And then my latest one is called Fabulous, Faithful and Free because people always ask me, how did I land in this place emotionally, mentally, spiritually, going through so much change, reinventing myself And, you know, can I give them advice? Can I mentor them? I cannot pour out into the world. So I poured it all into one book about how to be faithful to yourself, to your calling, to who you are, uh, free to be all that God has called you to be, every multidimensional aspect of who you are, and, and fabulous while doing it. And so people ask me questions all the time, and I poured it into a book. There's a workbook that comes with it. And then I also have a seven part a faith-based multicultural children's book series called The Wonderfully Made Pals uh, that's also out. And you can find all of this on Barnes & Noble, Amazon, anywhere where books are sold. Uh, my website is IamJuanitaIngram.com. The books are there as well. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here today. You are just very enlightening and a breath of fresh air, really. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for creating this platform for moms and multi-hyphenates like myself yes. to, to come and, and discuss and uh, and be appreciated. So I, I really appreciate that. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Now, where, where can people find you if they want to know more about you, the upcoming show, your books? Sure. You can go to uh, on all platforms. I am Juanita Ingram. Juanita is spelled with the J, U-A-N-I-T-A. Uh, the show is the expats show on all social media. The expats show.com is the website and we are on all platforms, including Snapchat and tw- uh, TikTok and Twitter and Facebook, all of them. So we're there. 
Thanks for listening to Time Out with Tinseltown Mom. If you liked what you heard today, please be so kind and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.